Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Catholic Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Jean. We are on the road today. <laughs> we will be going up to Indy, to Holy Rosary Church, to celebrate the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in the Latin Rite. In the Latin form? We're How does still, that go? We're still in the Latin Rite, whether it's in English, but it's the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, great. Deus Volt! Guys, guys, this is going to be a banter-filled podcast on our way up, but I hope you love it. With me today, I have Bart Upart. Hello. I've got Matthew Newman. Hello. Matt Henry. What a day. Alex. Hey, what's up? Our friend Mason. Howdy. And Lisa Luckin. Hola. Because we thought we needed a woman in the podcast. <laughs> because you were probably tired of all the testosterone. <laughs> but, so, Bart, I know how passionate you are about the extraordinary form of the Mass. So, tell me a little bit about what we're going up to and, like, what your thoughts about it are. Okay, well then, let's see. This These... is totally impromptu. He yeah, has I nothing know. <laughs> prepared. He has nothing. Uh, as I'm flipping through my missile, um... So right now, the current uh, form, so the extraordinary form, the last missile that was published in that form was in 1962, and that is when Pope John XXIII included St. Joseph in the Canon of the Saints within Mass. But the it's called the Tridentine Mass as well because it was officially codified at the Council of Trent. However, there were no liturgical changes that happened at Council of Trent. It's simply codified and basically... Basically, the Pope said at the Council of Trent, the Roman Rite will now be the official Rite of the Catholic Church, whether you're in Mexico, in Poland, in Germany. Um, and really, it hasn't changed. Like, for example, the U Eucharistic Prayer 1, which is still said in the Novus Ordo Mass, um, what is it? Oh, gosh. That's I the one that has, like, the long litany of saints. Yeah, the long litany of saints. That one... Uh, the, the first time it was recorded, or the earliest manuscript we have where it's recorded, um, it is from the 7th century. So we can be sure that it's even earlier than that. Um, so yeah, I mean, really, the, I mean, the current form of the Mass, the ordinary form uh, of the Mass, is the one that was made in 1969. So there are some differences, like practical differences, such as the, the people and the priest are facing the same way towards the crucifix. Um, all of the prayers are in Latin. Obviously, the only part that's probably not in Latin is the homily, and I say probably. Um, <laughs> that'd be interesting. Um, the music is most likely Gregorian chant, uh, which even uh, Vatican, the Second Vatican Council said is the treasure of the church. Um, and then there are many other such differences, but in general, it has a, basically it coats itself in mysticism um, and, a, and a sort of reverence that can be gone from, you know, other forms of the Mass. What's interesting is I just heard, talking to Kathy, um, who supports two kids in Haiti, she was talking about reverence in the Mass just in the Novus Ordo, the ordinary form of the Mass, and she was talking about just simply ushers bowing to the Eucharist as it's going by inspires so much more reverence. So all of the extraordinary practices in the Tridentine Mass just take that to the next level. Speaking of reverence, we have with us Lisa, who is our resident veiler. Um, and so, Lisa, I kind of want to get your take. Um, is it a matter of, is that, what is your take on reverence in the Mass and kind of your thoughts on um, that and with veiling a little bit as well? Yeah, okay, so um, I guess let's start with veiling. Um, I started veiling about a year ago, so I'm pretty new to it. Um, and 
what inspired me, I'm going to sound so like privileged, um, was when I <laughs> was when I studied abroad. Um, I was living in Vienna for a semester, and I actually the first time I ever experienced the Latin Mass was in the Vatican. <clears throat> So that was pretty cool. <laughs> Not bragging rights at all. <laughs> no. no. Um, and a lot of, like, young women were veiling. And at first I thought, well, that looks weird. Like, what is up with these women wearing doilies? And then <laughs> I was like, well, I should, like, look into it because I'm a curious person. And what I discovered in the process is that, um, how can I explain? So in the story of creation, woman is made last. And if you've ever talked with the Sisters of Life, they um, give this beautiful speech about how they say that woman is the crown of creation. And so in that, and like with our bodies, we have like the ability to bear life. And so we are considered sacred and our femininity is something that is special um, to God and in the eyes of the church. Tabernacles were once veiled, you know, speaking of reverence, like with the mass. Um, if you ever go to an Opus Dei um, oratory, you'll notice that all of their tabernacles are veiled. And so, as a woman, as a tabernacle holds Christ, we have the ability to hold life. And so we are also considered um, able to veil in this way. It's a sign of respect not only to God, you know, you, you veil when you're in front of Christ in the Eucharist. But um, it's an invitation to be reminded of um, the sanctity of femininity. Now, I know there are certain strands of feminism that when they look at veiling, they're kind of like, well, you're holding women back or holding them down or like something like that. But you, for you, it's really like woman is the crown of creation that yeah, like, no, she is, is holding. A, this is a compliment, people. Um, like I, if for it to be like misogynistic in any way I just think is um, an outdated um, way to try and like bring down such a beautiful devotion you know it was mandatory and now it's optional so you see a lot with like younger women such as myself my roommate shout out to Jenna Fisher um, hey. she's also veiling I'm actually making her a veil um, but oh I thought anyway. you were gonna say making her veil I was like no, we're not doing that guys her a veil. <laughs> um, but Veils by Lisa. Yeah. The plug go. for our, our resident veiler here. Uh -huh. She makes veils. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> too soon. Too oh. soon. Sorry, guys. Inside jokes vicious. here. Inside that jokes. Was, that was vicious. But, um, yeah, no, I just, I don't understand why you would think that. And I think that that ultimately to say that veils put women down is a misunderstanding of the devotion in itself. You know what I mean? Absolutely, I think. Like, it, it's out of respect for God and ultimately to realize, you know, who you are as a daughter of God in his presence. Mm -hmm. I've also heard it described a little bit, and this is going to be our last tangent on this before we go back to the Latin yeah, Mass. Yeah, yeah. But, like, for some it's a very, like, practical thing. Like, it helps them... Um, focus on mass and, oh, do, and it kind of acts as like yeah. blinders and you're focused on Christ and on the priest I was just going to say that if you like a little inside scoop if you bring the veil far enough forward you hear that man put, you, if you put your veil on <laughs> if you put it on, like far enough forward you are it's like outlining the mass like oh. literally creating a spotlight like on your face it's so gorgeous like oh yeah, okay, that's all I have to say. Awesome. Um, thank you so much, Lisa, for that little tangent. I'm sure all of our listeners will appreciate it. Um, again, we have nothing prepared. This was totally impromptu. Um, but I am curious if it's not too much to ask our other guest, Mason. Mason here, um, you're not Catholic yet, correct? Uh, no, not yet. 
Yes. Yes. Hey. But like, tell us, like, why are you coming up with us the Latin Mass? Like, you commented on my post um, on the Hoosier Catholic group, and then you were like, hey, I want to come. Yeah. Um, so, the first time I experienced Mass, it was actually in the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, and it was a Latin Mass there. It was it was beautiful. So after that, I always fell in love with the Latin Mass, even though I wasn't Catholic. So then on, I've joined some Facebook groups that were filled with some <laughs> traditionalist Catholics. And, uh, <laughs> I think we're all part of at least one of those. Um, but yeah, they really, I don't know, they just encourage people to go out and experience the Latin Mass, even though it's not like widely practiced anymore. Um, no, absolutely, and I think also with that, it's kind of like, you really get this sense of otherness, of outside of time, for me at least, when I enter the Latin Mass, like, it's just this time where it's like, wow, I can imagine this happening, like, 500 years ago, even longer than that, even. Well, it's something where people see, like, a problem with not understanding the Mass, but that's not the problem, that is, like, the goal, because you're entering into the house of Christ, you're entering into all these mysteries of Christ, the, like... The goal is not to understand. The goal is to enter into these mysteries and let them become a part of you. Because being Catholic, the whole thing is a mystery. It's filled with paradoxes, as one of my cousins likes to point out. It's filled with this both and of Catholicism, with with God becoming man, with God dying so that man may live, so that we die in order to live for Christ. It's filled with all these paradoxes and this these this mystical side that really becomes showcased in the Latin Mass, in the Latin form. Or in the extraordinary form, sorry, Bart. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Again, if we momentarily lap into heresy, Bart will correct us. <laughs> Out of brotherly love, brotherly love, um, Philadelphia. Um, but anyone else who wants to come in on this, on why why we're going to this Latin Mass? I will. <clears throat> Lisa's okay. back in. Lisa's she's right. not even a part of the podcast, but she's contributing all right. Yeah, so... Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm an oboe student at the Jacobs School of Music, and a friend of mine, Emily Mansfield, recommended that I read Pope John Paul II's letter to artists. And while <laughs> Dominic's freaking out, while this is like not directly tied into it, I think it has quite a bit of correlation, right? So he's writing to artists of various kinds, the visual or performing arts, but his main focus in the letter talks about the attraction to beauty and um, what that looks like in um, like sanctifying your work. So in the letter he refers to art specifically. But I think that there is something truly um, transcendent about having the Mass in Latin that is beautiful and I would argue is different than what I experience. And so it's like looking at the same thing from a different angle. Um, and, and I just think, you know, young people especially, who are like forging their way in the world but anyone in particular would agree that there is an attraction to beauty and something that appears transcendent and that has tradition that escapes time so I think that's why I'm in the run for this so absolutely thank you Lisa and I really I really can relate to that that attraction towards beauty yeah. I think he he wasn't Catholic but C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. has this great thing where he's talking about friendship and he's also talking about art and he's like Art, friendship is like art in that it gives meaning to existence. It gives meaning yeah, to our lives. Like without it, we could we could live, 
But wh- why would we live? And right. that's like, and that's the part about the mass. The mass should be beautiful. The mass should be this um, ephemeral experience that takes us closer to God. And so, like, the Latin mass, um, because of its ancient traditionness and because of its simple tradition of beauty and of song and everything going on there, it it has that quality to it that we can sometimes lose when we step into a more modern church and it's all in the vernacular in English or whatever language. Something else I would add, a lot of people have like, there's been certain prayers at my home parish, which is not, it's not Tridentine, it's the ordinary form of the of the mass. Then we started introduce, reintroducing some Latin prayers, such as the Agnus Dei in Latin. And a lot of, there's been a lot of, a little bit of pushback in my parish about this. Um, and I pointed out to my family, like, I studied abroad, as Lisa did last summer, and the one thing I noticed is when, ma- when the Mass can be in Latin, you can unite Catholics who you might not understand the homily, but you can participate in the Mass. Everyone from around the world who, per- who is part of the Roman Church can participate in the Latin form when it's said in Latin. Absolutely, and with that, like, if you look at any um, Vatican or Church documents, they all have to be translated into Latin. That is the language of the church, and it's the language that, um, for years and years and years in the Middle Ages, united um, the clerics. That, that they were, they come from all over, and even now, like it unites those who can read it and who can um, speak it relatively well, um, where that they can understand each other, even though they come from different cultures, different continents, um, from halfway around the world. They can come together and understand each other. Um, does anyone else want to contribute? Can I add something actually about that? Um, in 2016, when Mother Teresa was canonized, um, I had the privilege and honor of attending her canonization because I was in Rome. Oh um, Lisa's but, just coming out with the humble brags today. I'm sorry, but <laughs> up, like truly, it was really a blessing because I had strep throat. But anyway, that's a story for another time. Um, the point is that you're talking about like the unity um, with Latin, and um, before the mass started, I ran into some um, seminarians who fortunately spoke English, and actually taught me the rosary in Latin, like in St. Peter's Square. I felt so like out of place because I didn't know Latin at that time, and I think that's been a huge thing for me. Like a year later drawing me into this even more is because like it is so universal and it's so practical and you know there are people from Albania and India and Greece next to me and we're all like yeah this is the rosary let's pray together because we're a family so yay universal church we're all like (laughs) awing inside because that's just such a great image Um, Alex Matt would you like to come in on this I I don't know what to say so (laughs) (laughs) I'll comment on it of course you will Matt of course yeah I have a lot of (laughs) So, I certainly think that there are things to be said for the extraordinary form of of the Mass that are definitely better than the Novus Ordo, but I do think that Vatican II was necessary to reform the Mass. There were a lot of problems with it, specifically that nobody knew anything that was going on and no one really took the time to learn it, so when you're going through a Mass and just sitting there, like, and you don't have any responses, you don't know what the responses mean, you don't know what the priest is saying, that can be a problem. So it's definitely better for those people that know what's going on, that can partake in the mystery in some way, but that Vatican II was necessary so that it could reach out to everybody, so that everybody could participate in the Mass. And I think that there does need to be a middle ground somewhere so that 
we can bring back some of that reverence that was in the extraordinary form, but also have full participation in the mess. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing us back on trap, Mac. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Everyone's good. This is a great podcast. And now we're just getting near Martinsville, but we're going to cut it short for now. And we will come back at you with a little segment later after some music. And we'll let you know how the Holy Rosary Mass was. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Discussion Podcast. Officer's like, oh, I've never had it fine recording this. Because we're about to start, but I wanted some banter. <laughs> about farms? About cows. Anyway, I almost watched a motorcyclist die because a bull was I'm about to surprised. charge it. And I started praying the rosary. It's Speaking, of cows Speaking of the rosary, we just went to the most holy rosary. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex brings us back on target, everyone. Hello, welcome back to the Catholic Discussion Podcast. This episode uh, is a bonus episode, just an impromptu session we're doing on the road here as we come back from Latin Mass in Indy. We're going to each take about maybe 30 seconds max to tell us about our experience with the Latin Mass. And I'll just go first, and then I'll be passing this phone around so we can talk some more. Um, For me, I really thought the Latin Mass was beautiful in just how you're enveloped in that kind of beauty and that tradition that has united so many people throughout the ages. And And it was also beautiful. When we were up at Holy Rosary, I just saw so many young kids and young children and their families around, and it's so enheartening it's so it's such a wonderful experience for my heart to see that kind of faith um and to have people trying to instill it in their kids so young and bart oh man (laughs) uh latin mass was really beautiful i grew up going to to the tridentine mass all my life however um the parish that i go to saint john cantus in chicago um they don't really do the ordinaries um in as uh, as a con- as congregational song and here they did which i thought was really refreshing um and it reminded me of a church that i also went to a uh, institute of christ the king on the south side and of chicago and so i li- i liked that a lot that there was a lot of congregational song and there was that you know, I guess Vatican II idea of lay participation, and I think it was to its fullest degree. Now, my opinion of the Latin Mass, uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, for me, this was my second time going to the Latin Mass, and each time I've went, it's gotten a little bit, um, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with it. The first time I went, all I did was like stare at the book that they have in the um, in the pews, so you can like follow along. But this time, I kind of, I let myself just. I guess being more enveloped by the mystery instead of just trying to understand everything that's going on I actually just like let the mass like play out around me um so I think uh for me it's important next time I go to read the readings in English before I go and then just participate in the mass um but yeah I think that's mine I think uh going to this Latin mass this is my first Latin mass so it was very um It was very uh, confusing for me. I had to uh, flip through the book a lot. Um, I felt like uh, the church was very conducive and the Latin Mass was very conducive to a very contemplative prayer. And I think that I would have appreciated that a lot more had I been a little bit more um, experienced with uh, everything that was going on. 
So uh, while it wasn't like the perfect mass, I think that it could be uh, could only get better as I get more um, used to it. Now passing to the back seat for Alex, and then we'll get you our two guests. All right, hey, what's up, guys? I didn't really get to talk much before we came here, but uh, <laughs> I was unsure of what to say. Third row, back seat of the car. It's really hard to talk, but when we're talking about the Latin Mass, it is difficult to understand or get used to it if you are not used to it. And I think that if you are a new person coming into the Catholic Church, it can be hard to see the beauty of the Latin Mass. But I think that having gone to the Latin Mass at this parish, it was absolutely wonderful. And when you truly understand the beauty of the Mass and the process of the Mass and the sacrifice, you can see that beauty and you can see how contemplative it is for not only the congregation, but for the priest as well. So I think that that was wonderful. And off to our first guests. Yeah, um, I don't know. It was just, it was very beautiful. I mean, it kind of felt back like you were going back 500 years ago, and you could just feel the uh, the history in the mass. And that's one reason why I considered joining the Catholic Church. But yeah. God bless. And finally, to Lisa. Hey there. So yeah, like Matt, um, this was also my first um, uh, Trinity Mass, and uh, it was interesting because it was hard for me to get into at first, and Matt and I were both fumbling through the book. Anyway, it was fine. Good to have a struggle buddy. <laughs> and um, I think that, uh, yeah, there is a timelessness that the Mass captivated, and for me, going back to the veiling thing, and just like the beauty that the church that church in particular has. I mean, that altarpiece was gorgeous. Yeah, it was um, pretty stunning. If you haven't been to Holy Rosary, yeah. please go. And, and you know, you, you're walking up to receive Christ in the Eucharist, and, like, you're kneeling down, and it just really felt like, I don't know, like a wedding day in, in like, the wedding feast of the Eucharist for me. So it was beautiful. Awesome. And on that lovely note, we're going to leave you. We're driving back to Bloomington now. And if you liked this impromptu bonus podcast, please let us know in the comments or in ratings or reviews on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you, everyone, and God bless. This has been a Catholic discussion. Stop! We're not doing that! We're not doing that!